I'm Julian Dobbs, the Diocesan Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. Welcome to this episode of Living Through the Word, where we want to share with you what God is doing in the world of Anglican Christianity and throughout Christendom. On June 10 this year, uh, the Lord being my helper, the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word will begin its annual missions conference and synod in Southern Pennsylvania. We're so looking forward to being together in person, worshiping God and coming together to open his word. This event is the highlight in my year as the entire diocese gathers together for three days of worship and hearing of God's word, where the word is opened and proclaimed and we enjoy prayer and fellowship with one another. Today, I'm very privileged to be joined by this year's keynote speaker, Dr. Kelly Capick. Kelly Capick is Professor of Theological Studies at Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. I've been to that campus. It's outstanding. Uh, he's taught there since 2001. Kelly and his wife, Tabitha, have two children, Jonathan and Margaret. He has written and edited numerous books, including Embodied Hope, a theological meditation on pain and suffering, IVP Academic 2017, which won the Book of the Year Award from Christianity Today in the category of Theology and Ethics. Dr. Capick earned his PhD in Systematic and Historical Theology at King's College, University of London, in the United Kingdom, and MDiv at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, Florida, and a BA in Philosophy and History from Wheaton College. Dr. Capick, we can't wait uh, to have you in our midst in a short time. Uh, thank you for being brave uh, to come uh, in in this season, but also to a group of Anglicans. Uh, welcome to Living Through the Word. Great to have you with us, sir. Oh, thank you, Julian. I'm, I'm excited to spend some time this morning and really looking forward to the time to actually retreat and to be together. And I know it's going to be nourishing for me. So I, I'm kind of selfish and looking forward to it. Uh, you're very kind. We're we're going to be so blessed to have you. I know. Um, as I, I was praying earlier this morning, and I, I, when we were recording this, and and I was thinking, hey, tell us a little bit about how the Lord brought you uh, to to a saving faith in Him, um, and how is it that you and I, as brothers in Christ, end up walking this journey together? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Let me. I'll try and give you a shorter version. Right there, are, there are always these longer versions. But I I grew up in um in California. Uh, some of your listeners will know Lodi, California, which is Creedence Clearwater Revival had a song called Stuck in Lodi. <laughs> I was born and raised in Lodi. But I was in a in a Roman Catholic uh, family where church attendance, we, we were going. But through a series of things, basically by the time I was late in uh, elementary school, everyone but my father had stopped going. Um, and my middle school years were like people's college years in terms of partying. And I, it sounds ridiculous, but that that really was the case. And um, through a little local Baptist church, uh, I started going to their youth group to get people off my back. And there were kids there that I partied with. And I thought, oh, but but God grabbed me and um, really used the youth ministry there. I like to remind people, you know, how important youth ministry is. We can downplay it. It absolutely changed my life. So really came became a follower of Jesus my freshman year in high school and really loved evangelism was because I not been in the Christian world. I was active in bringing all these people to church and that was a big part, but then started also 
uh, became interested in just what is this faith and exploring it. So I ended up from there going to Wheaton College and seminary, etc. That's a little taste of it. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's helpful, isn't it? Because we see how God and his sovereignty is at work in our lives. And um, mm. that 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 that's very reassuring to us in, in so many levels. Just before we move on, on, on from that, um, one of the great mission fields today obviously seems to be the, the campus community, the college campus community. Uh, and other faith groups are, um, uh, are also engaging significantly uh, on the college campus. Um, is that something you're seeing? Um, uh, should, should we be heightening our, um, our pastoral and evangelistic presence on college campuses across the country? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, that's what I do. I, I have the privilege. When I finished my PhD, I wondered what I do, seminary, teach in a seminary or college? And I have so loved being in a liberal arts setting that I really don't want to go anywhere else. I happen to be in a Christian liberal arts, but this is, these folks are going through challenges. I think they get a bit of a bad rap, to be honest. Um, you know, we think of them as slackers, but this age group is pretty rebellious at any, you know, 1950s, 1960s, whatever. But, but the questions are real. And part of our opportunity is to, they're not really interested in the coolness of Jesus anymore. They want the authenticity. They want the real gospel. They want a, yes. a, a Lord who commands and who who actually has meaning for life. And so I, I think the opportunities are massive. Um, yeah, that could be a whole di different discussion, but yes, that's my short answer. <laughs> Well, let's let's turn a little bit to s s some of your 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 writing. Um, uh, I mentioned earlier you received the Book of the Year award from Christianity Today. Congratulations! I mean that's a, that's a huge deal. Um, I found your book Embodied Hope to be to be an incredible read. Mm. Uh, thank you for writing it. You. Uh, you write very personally. Um, it was helpful to me as a bishop thinking through a biblically accurate response to the problem or the the challenge of pain and suffering. And I know that your talks at our 2021 Missions Conference and Synod will, will focus on many of the themes within this book. So I don't want you to reveal too much. <laughs> um, but if you could, tell us a little bit or explain some of the problems and how the church relates to the issue of pain in her midst. But before you answer that, um, I heard you once speak about, um, about the, the two polar challenges in writing this book, the, the challenge of, of pop culture Christianity references already a little bit, but also um, the more reform stream yeah. and how you've tried to engage in the midst of that. So as you speak into this, if you could just keep that in your mind, because I found that so, so liberating oh, yeah. and helpful. Yeah. Thank you for, for even mentioning that. So I really did, as I was writing it, part of it is because one of the privileges of working with college students is they, they're not afraid to ask the hard questions and stuff. And they're coming from a variety of backgrounds, at least where I'm teaching. And so on the one hand, I'm, I am very concerned with what I'd call pop evangelicalism, where it's kind of happy, clappy, everything's got to be good upwards and onwards all the time. Um, but the problem is life falls apart, right? And things happen bad that, and, and you see things about yourself and another's and, but but then I'm also a Reformed theologian from, from this tradition, which takes it very seriously. But I then deal with what I would say are misunderstandings in my tradition 
where we affirm that God is sovereign, but then all of a sudden God becomes this mad scientist who actually is not a compassionate and loving father. He's just kind of messing about. And he doesn't, he doesn't actually, there's no sympathetic high priest. What does that even mean? So I, I, I'm worried about the kind of cheap, easy pop thing that, that doesn't have the depth that we need. But I'm also worried about misunderstandings of sovereignty that actually make God kind of the author of evil in ways that are deeply problematic. Mm -hmm. And so I mm -hmm. want to avoid both of those. Mm -hmm. Mm. And, and yeah. yeah, I could say more in terms of what I'm interested in then it, kind of in the book and trying to help think through this is kind of three parts. And one is and, and part of the reason I love getting opportunities like we're going to have in June. I love being with pastors because they are and, and others on the front lines. And so the, the first part is, how do we actually think about this? And one of the things that we're constantly tempted to is to explain, right? To say why this is happening. And yep. part of what we need to talk about is why you should not do that. And we have to talk to, because sometimes pastors will feel like they're, they're not being faithful. They're not having the guts. But the reality is we're not qualified to explain why a particular thing is happening at a particular time. So thinking through that and, and, um, the importance of like lament is a very important thing that we'll be talking about. How, how, how think, but also our bodies, how important our bodies are. So kind of the first part is let's be honest about our bodies, about the reality of a pain. Um, one of the, uh, you know, you mentioned these tensions in the book. One of the lingering tensions I want to uphold is we need to be as honest about how wonderful and glorious and providing our God is, as we are honest about how painful the world is. And we're always tempted to pick. And sometimes we won't actually be honest about how painful the world is because we think we have to honor God. Or we'll be really honest about how painful the world is and then undermine talking about how good God is. And we don't have to choose between those. So anyways, I'm interested in that. And then I think the only way you can handle that well is through the incarnation the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, I actually think that, that that Christological center opens up everything. And it is amazing to me how often when we talk about the problem of evil, we don't actually talk about Jesus. It becomes very abstract and philosophical, which I think hurts us. And then the, the third big part is really talking about, and this is again why I love talking to this kind of group, it's about what does the life of the church look like? What does it mean to live together in the midst of this broken world with pain and suffering what are practices we can do anyways that that maybe that gives you something else to talk about but that's a lot well i mean it's, it's so helpful uh, i've had the privilege of, of serving as an ordained person in the church for uh, almost 30 years mm. and uh, i know this tension that exists as a pastor of 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 being careful that you don't rescue someone because christ has come to rescue um uh, and yet you, you, there's that, there's that great challenge, isn't there, of sometimes wanting to over-explain in an, an attempt to, to, to compensate for what we can't answer, right. and yet we want to teach the scriptures, right. and, and, and we want to be faithful in teaching. And there's this great, this great tension that exists for pastors sometimes who are there dealing with very broken situations of pain and challenge and suffering. And trying to explain, well, heck, you know, where's God in the midst of that? When my 14-year-old child is, has been 
suddenly diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, and, and so thank you for being willing to help us grapple um, with, with some of these things. Yeah, they're, um, they're, they are where we live, aren't they? And they, you know, yeah. when, when you're doing pastoral ministry, this is, this is where it gets all the books and stuff. Now all of a sudden you have to live and, and <laughs> you know, and that's why doing these conversations together actually become very helpful because you can start to feel alone and like you're insane, or maybe you're not being fair theologically or something and, and talking with one another and reflecting on the scriptures together, I think helps us see we're not insane and that God is still good, even in the midst of the hard stuff. That's right. And, and, and reminding each other that we can and can have, and and it's a delight to have confidence in God and His Word, um, even in the midst of the situations that are so challenging. Speaking of books, Kelly, yeah. um, uh, if we may, uh, you you spoke of books, and, and in those situations, you think all those things I learned at seminary are not sure they're helping me at all in this right. situation. Um, but speaking of books, you are. A professor of theology at Covenant College. Um, what is your end goal for the men and women uh, who are your students? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, um, part of what I love is I help them. I love when I see their eyes light up when they start to see how relevant theology is to their life, whether they're going to be, you know, uh, social workers or lawyers or stay-at-home parents or politicians, when they start to see that this theology informs how they faithfully change diapers, right? Or interact, yeah. just the importance of theology. So I'm interested in, in helping them see what it means that we have a king who's reigning and ruling and how this gives meaning to their lives. Um, and, and how it does inform their lives. And that it's not just about proof texting from the Bible, but there is this rich theological tradition um, and the vibrant living faith of the church. Uh, so I, I'm interested in actually just drawing them deeper into the life of faith and, and closer to their triune God. That's what, that's what gives me the joy to see. You have the privilege of working with a number of, no doubt, incredible young people, and maybe not so young, uh, who who um, are committed to studying, giving their lives to Christian service uh, in the church, potentially as pastors and leaders. Um, uh, sometimes people say to me, what's the point in all of this? What's the point in studying theology? Now, this is not one of the questions you and I agreed to talk about. Oh, that's but, fine. You know, someone, someone said that yeah, yeah, to yeah. you. What's, what's the point of all the books and yeah. the point of all the study? What would you say to them? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And I mean, part of it is um, theology is a fancy word, but it just means theo God, logos is word. It's a word about God. And and I, I have a book called The Little Book for New Theologians. But in there, part of the case is we're actually all theologians. Um, you don't have to even have any degrees at all. Because we all have words about God. We have even unspoken words, right? Our thoughts. And and so the question isn't, do you have thoughts and words about God? The question is, do they reflect the living God or, or are they idolatrous, right? Or or even, that sounds so negative. It can also just be, you have a theology. You have a view of God as an angry, wrathful father. And you don't understand his goodness and compassion, right? That So we actually all have a theology, whether we realize it or not. 
So as cheesy as it may sound, the question isn't, are you a theologian? It's, are you a good one? And I have, and by that, I don't mean, are you going to be a pastor? Or are you going to be a professional theologian? I just mean for anybody in the pew and even not in the pew, we are, we have thoughts about God and they shape our lives in deeply profound ways we're often not aware of. So, so time spent thinking about this God, reflecting on him, learning his word and how, how the people of God have thought about him and what it means to live, I think is incredibly well spent. And you draw on that for the rest of your life kind of thing. Yeah, I like that very much. What sort of theologian are you? or What sort of theology are you doing? Um, Dr. Capek, you wrote a very helpful book, a little, you referenced this just before, a little book uh, for new theologians, why and how to study theology. What, what type of reader would benefit from reading that work? Yeah, thanks. Uh, that's fun. I um, Basically, all Christians, it's really small. It's 100 pages, and they're not big pages. And it's a textbook in a lot of seminaries and colleges. But actually, the the letters I like getting, I, I've been on a podcast with a, a woman who her podcast is directed to women raising young children at home. And she read this book and said, these moms need to know how important theology is for their lives. And so it, it really is. It's it's because part of it is to be a good theologian. It's not just about what you know. It's about certain practices like prayer, <laughs> humility, repentance. These are characteristics of good theologians, which need to be all of us. And so it's not just head knowledge. And so it, it really is for all Christians. That's the idea. It's just helping you realize this matters to all of us. It's not about necessarily a formal education. At the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, we are committed to mission mm. and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus faithfully to the nations. I'm talking to Dr. Kelly Capek, who is the keynote speaker at our upcoming missions conference and synod, um, in Synod in Pennsylvania, June 10 through 12, uh, Find out more information about that and register to be with us, adlw.org, uh, and you'll get all the uh, information there. Um, uh, you wrote another book that sent me to the dictionary, um, and uh, I, I needed to make sure that my understanding of its title was accurate. accurate. Um, uh, or was it a lecture? No, one, one of the lectures elect, uh, 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 you gave released by Covenant um, on YouTube, Finitude Facing Our Limits. Oh. That's not a word that's used much um, yeah. these days. So it sent me to the dictionary um, <laughs> to, to find out about it, make sure my understanding of the vocabulary was right. Oh, that's great. Um, what does it mean to us as a church, uh, to church members, deacons, presbyters, even bishops? Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Oh, that makes me so excited. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's the, um, I just turned in that manuscript and and that book uh, comes out in um, January of 2022 and it's called You're Only Human. Okay. Um, and I I have, okay. it's something. Well, I don't have to go to the dictionary for that one. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. And so uh, Finitude, we decided it's a little too intimidating for the title, although I use it. But this has <clears throat> been so important to my own life. And it does relate even to the follow-up of suffering. I'm really, and I think, you know, this is a whole nother discussion with the pastors. And I know this time we're talking about suffering, but for pastors, my heart is so significant, uh, so for them, because it's impossible. There's too much to do, right? You've never prayed enough. You've never read enough. 
You've never spent enough time with all your congregation members. You never counseled enough. It's just constant. And and that's for pastors, that's for all Christians. I And here's where I've become very interested. I think we've confused finitude, which just means our limits, and sin. So we feel guilty and we feel like we need to ask for God's forgiveness. Sometimes when we really don't need to, we're just limited. Um, finitude just means limits. You don't know everything. You can't be everywhere. Uh, you can't do everything. You, God made you a particular creature. And so part of my conviction is I actually don't think evangelicals have a great doctrine of creation because for the last 150 years, when we say the word creation, everyone debates how and when God created the earth. And those are fine discussions. You can have them. But we've lost some of the most central parts of the tradition. And one of them is you're a creature. And part of being a creature is you have limits. And that's not something you have to apologize for. It actually fosters the importance of our interdependence with one another. And in the West, we live in this myth of independence and, and, and that kind of thing. So I, I think it's really important to our lives. It Only when you start to appreciate the importance of our limits and finitude can you value the significance of the church, of our life together. Can you value... Uh, I think, can you think about humility in healthier ways? Um, anyway, there, there's a lot I'd love to say about that, but does that help a little bit or do you want to follow up on that? No, no. I mean, that's very helpful because again, um, thinking about some of the people listening to this episode mm. and who will get to engage with you at the missions conference and synod, you know, it's challenging out there for pastors. Um, and um, uh uh, I, I recall, um, Kelly, uh, uh, when I uh, finished one lengthy uh, ministry as a pastor back in New Zealand in my New Zealand days, uh, the, the senior warden, the senior lay leader of the church said to me afterwards, I knew your job was difficult, but until you left, I didn't know it was impossible. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the exercises I encourage pastors to do is actually do a time log for a week because even they don't the congregation definitely doesn't know all they do but even they don't know all they do so part of their problem is you feel guilty but when you when you kind of just objectively step back you know it uh you see there there's just no time right and and it's also an interesting exercise to ask congregation members and pastors, how much time a week should you spend counseling? How much time a week should you spend reading? How much time a week should you spend prayer? And people will think they're being conservative and it'll add up to a hundred hours or 140 hours. I mean, they become astronomical and people haven't realized it. So it's actually inhumane. It's not possible. Um, one of the things I found interesting, you know, in, in your audience knows, but you know, you, the whole episode with Moses and his father-in-law, you know, but when I re-looked at that again near the end of my study, it was fascinating to me when he says, it is not good for you, which actually kind of echoes words from Genesis. It's not good for man to be alone. Moses, it is not good for you to do all of this. But when I actually looked at what he was saying it's not good for, it was people who were coming to know more about God. And I, I thought that's very interesting because pastorally, it doesn't matter what time of day or night, if someone's coming to you to ask for wisdom about God or how to live in light of God, I mean, we feel like we definitely always need to be there. And it was fascinating to realize, 
actually, it's just an example. You you can't. You need other people. Cannot. And and so, Cannot. anyways, it's not just the bad stuff you have to cut out. It's the humility to say even some of the good stuff you can't do. And God's understand. He made you with limits. It's okay. I actually think, for example, sleep. I get super excited. So, I'll just, but sleep is a spiritual discipline. Sleep is an act of faith. It's very hard to sleep, but it is an act of faith. I am trusting God. He made me as a creature that needs to sleep. So um, thank you, Dr. Capek. Uh, our listeners can't see, but you and I can see each other as we are uh, recording this. And yeah. I've got a big smile on my <laughs> face because my wife has been on a crusade for the 30 years of our marriage to teach me that sleep is godly mm. and that it is good. Yeah. And it is something that God has given to us to make me, help me, enable me to be, firstly, uh, the disciple, the husband, the father, the pastor uh, that he has called me to be. Uh, I'm 30 years into my ordained ministry. I'm still learning that. But I'm coming to cherish exactly what you're saying. I can't be everywhere. And and actually rest is something holy. Yes. I, I struggle with the same thing. That's why I need to, you know, that's why it was so helpful for me. I, you know, last night was a terrible night of sleep, right? So um, thinking through that though, and thinking through it, I've become interested. Part of finitude is sleep is thinking through it theologically, right? What What's going on there? It's very interesting. Okay, Dr. Capek, I've got a couple of um, uh, questions that I haven't told you okay. about. Um, uh, and, and, and part of me asking these is uh, to help those who are listening to get to know you a little bit more and to, to, to listen to a response. Um, uh, a couple of the questions are really short. Firstly, uh, what would you say if I said these words to you? Uh, the pandemic, suffering, and the grace of God. Hmm. I mean, the first word that comes to my mind is hard. <laughs> Um, I, I think the pandemic suffering and the grace of God is a reminder. It, it actually, there has been a grace in it because all of these things that we tended to put our meaning in were taken away and life did get s slowed down. It, it forced us to slow down. And I do think it opened up avenues of grace and experience. Um, but I, um, there were, there were definitely hard parts. And I, you know, I talked to people in different parts. I happen to live in a part of the country that hasn't totally been shut down. Um, but I, you know, have a nephew who hasn't been in school for a year and the isolation and difficulty. And, and I, and I'm very interested to see what the church is going to look like as we come through this. Um, because I'm not so sure so many people are coming back and that will be, it might be right. That will be interesting. So, but I think there will be new avenues to understand the grace of God. And it's forced us to strip some of our misunderstandings of what is grace and what isn't grace. Thank you. Uh, looking out at the church um, and considering what you hear being taught in the pulpits across the country, um, not just in your circles, but more broadly, uh, what would you say preachers and teachers of the Word of God need to lean into as you listen to what's being taught around the country? Mm. <laughs> so I don't know your group well enough to know if I'm going to either step on a lot of toes right now or be applauded. <laughs> or, or You just do it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, I am a reformed theologian. I work in certain circles, but I, my heart is often for the bigger, larger evangelical and conservative uh, world. And the honest truth, and because I deal with college students, I am so profoundly concerned with the evangelical church being subverted uh, by certain political forces. Um, and I deal with I deal with a lot of young people and have now for a number of years who they are not questioning, should I leave the Republican Party? They're questioning, do I need to leave the faith? Because certain things have been so wedded together. And so the way and this I, that that can happen on the left and the right. Um, and to answer your question, then, I actually think it's vital for ministers of the gospel to remind our congregations that Jesus is the king and no one else is. They're all under his reign. And so his, his king, as a king and his kingdom, it critiques all other kings and all other attempts at kingdoms. And, and to subvert this by the beauty of the weakness of the gospel, of our service, of our love. And it gets, it's super simple. It's stuff we all know, but I just think people are not knowing us by our love. And so they need to know who our real king is and that we actually love. Uh, that's, it's not a fancy answer. So, but. so, so Kelly, here's, I, as you know, I'm, 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 I'm a naturalized American citizen. I'm proud to be, I, I'm flying the flag outside the window of where we're recording this podcast. Um, I'm deeply committed um, to the impact of the gospel in our nation. But why is what you said just so very difficult for so many Christians in North America? I think why is that difficult? Yeah, I think it actually, unfortunately, reveals how, as a church and as leaders, we have not discipled well. We kind of reduce the gospel to conversion, become a Christian, and then we're not actually sure what you're the meaning of your life between when you're converted and when you die. And so I think in that vacuum, certain ideologies fill it. And that can be left, right, whatever, rather than uh, uh, the living, vibrant kingdom vision of what it looks like in our local communities and, and other kind of ways. So people get so passionate. We're made to be passionate. We're made for a kingdom. And the problem is there's a vacuum. And so these perversions have walked in and, and, and it's hurting us. And I think as leaders, we have to say, wow, we probably haven't discipled very well. We've, we've converted people and then left them. And I think their loves have become disordered as a result. That's my honest answer. <laughs> you may, uh, you may not question. want me there when I... No, no, this is very good. This is very good. Very, very good. I mean, I could talk to you about this for a long time. A final question has two parts. Uh, people and books that have influenced you most in your formation? Yeah, I mean, uh, that obviously could be a long answer. I, the people question, you know, there was a youth minister. There was a landscaper who dropped out of after one year of college. and But he took four of us in high school and he'd bring us into his house and he'd buy us a book and we'd read it together, a chapter at a time. And he took our voices seriously as high schoolers. And had the result, and none of us were really from Christian homes. And the result of that is I went on, did a PhD in theology. Another guy did a PhD in New Testament. He teaches at a Southern Baptist seminary. Another guy is an army chaplain and another guy is in social work. And I think here is a guy, no one knows his name. He dropped out of college in one year, 
So him, but in terms of other names, Jaya Packer has been a massive influence uh, on my life. Um, a little personally. Oh, an Anglican. Yes. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> I mean, honestly, when I think of, you know, what I would like to do temperamentally as a, as a theologian, J.I. Packer, Timothy George, John Stott, uh, some of those folks have been hugely influential in shaping the kind of temperament and what our actual calling is. Um, that would be a taste of it. And Dr. Capek, yeah. I was going to say, so, and, so. and then I have a bunch of dead people like the Puritan John Owen, Augustine, <laughs> Calvin, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, brother, thank you so much for joining us here virtually over the span of the uh, the internet to record this episode. I can't wait uh, to worship beside you as a brother on June 10 through 12 at our missions conference and synod, uh, the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, gathering together to open the word of God, uh, to respond to him, uh, to have his spirit teach us. Uh, if you're listening to this episode of Living Through the Word, wondering how you can join us and Dr. Capek, visit us on our website, adlw.org, registered for the event. Uh, many have. I look forward to having you there. Dr. Capek, thank you uh, for giving us just a little bit of a taste of who you are. Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much, Julian. It's been fun. This is Living Through the Word, and I commend you to God and to the word of His grace.